Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. So, as I speak, it's Wednesday the 21st of October. This will be up in two days' time on the 23rd. Uh, and it's a cold, wintry evening here in Dublin, Ireland. But I've just had a delicious dinner of vegetable soup and croutons, both of which were homemade. It's the thing I love about winter. It might be freezing outside, but there's the warmth and the comfort food inside. Um, that kind of weather just makes me want to watch horror films and eat. Um, for about four or five months. So that's kind of starting now. Uh, those of you who listened to last week's episode might have noticed the difference in how I was speaking. So I attempted something a bit different where I decided to speak a bit slower. It's been pointed out to me then by more than one person that I speak quite quickly. And uh, for non-nationals, or sorry, by non-nationals, I mean non-native English speakers, that can be quite difficult to understand. But upon listening back, I think I sounded like a fucking creep. Uh, so I'm not going to be doing that again. But, you know, at least I tried. Um, so if I'm speaking too quickly, I, I apologize. Maybe you can play it at a lesser speed. I don't know. and make me sound like a weird, warbly, um, underwater person or something. So yeah, it's it's fucking freezing outside, but it's warm inside. Um, winter is coming, as they say. Uh, is that still uncool to say? Or has it now become cool again or retro? I'm not sure. Maybe you can let me know. Actually, uh, on that point, I have got a new Twitter handle. It's at Metal, And that's F-E-C-K-I-N-M-E-T-A-L. And also a new Gmail address uh, specific to this podcast. That's feckinmetal at gmail.com. So if you want to contact me about anything to do with the show, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter at Feck and Metal and on Gmail, Feck and Metal at gmail.com. Um, so lately I have been listening to uh, Haunt. They have a recent album called Triumph, which is uh, re recordings of two four track EPs um, Luminous Eyes, which was the first Haunt release, and Mosaic Vision, which came out afterwards. And uh, Trevor William Church, the, the main man behind Haunt, has re recorded both of those EPs and beefed up the sound. Um, and added uh, synth or keyboards in some places and in general the the tracks just blow the other versions of the tracks away they're like they're way more than just a re-recording of an old song they're reimagined and just completely improved in all ways so i recommend that it's available on bandcamp now i don't think the physical release is coming until january but it's available for pre-order but for streaming you can listen to it on bandcamp that's haunt triumph and what else Oh yeah, I've been re-spinning the original, um, or the the first Eternal Champion album, The Armour of Ire. That's an excellent album. And their new release again is coming, I think, on the 1st of December, or late November. I can't remember, but it's coming shortly. So I've been getting back into the zone with Eternal Champion. But if you haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend it as well. I briefly discussed it with um, Jake Rogers, and also with, um, when we were talking about the book, with Jarvis Letterby on those episodes as well. And the Glacier uh, album is now available. So I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago that I was looking forward to it. I've pre-ordered that as well, but the uh, digital version is available for streaming on Bandcamp, The Passing of Time. I gave it a listen in full there a couple of times during the week, and it's a really good uh, power metal album, like old-school American power metal as opposed to European power metal, um, which comes up on this episode with my guest. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good, and I would recommend that you give that a listen. The, uh, the music is excellent, the guitar playing is excellent, the vocals are really good. Uh, it's the singer from the original Glacier EP, who did three of the songs on that EP, not all five, but he did three of them. Uh, I'm not going to butcher his name again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good, really good listen. It's just like perfect power metal from start to finish. Eight, eight tracks and they're all really good. So I'd, I'd recommend that. And um, what else have I been listening to? Well, I went down a bit of a slough fig rabbit hole after last week's episode and was listening or re-listening to Hardworlder, Traveller, 
um, and even a bit of Ape Uprising as well. So if you liked what you heard last week, I do encourage you to give them a listen. Also on last week, uh, I, I mentioned Motorhead and I was discussing the track Don't Believe a Word, I called it. It's actually called I Don't Believe a Word, but... Um, after that, Nesbitt, former uh, guest on Feckin' Metal, got on to me and asked me to recommend Motorhead albums from the 90s. And I think as a complete album uh, from the 90s, Bastards is probably the best, in my opinion. Uh, and from the 2000s, I would definitely recommend Kiss of Death, uh, just for full albums, uh, kind of start-to-finish playthroughs. But there's lots of hidden gems on all, all of those albums in the 90s and uh, 2000s, so they're, they're worth listening to to discover those. Um, what else... Oh yeah, I wanted to make another correction. I, I really need to shut the fuck up making factual statements on this podcast because I get things wrong a lot of the time. And I need to re-correct myself about the Rob Halford autobiography. It was written in conjunction with a ghostwriter by the name of Ian Gittens. For some reason, when I was looking through my ebook, I couldn't find this information anywhere. Um, and I assumed then that it was just written by Rob. And I had never heard him mention a ghostwriter or heard a ghostwriter mentioned in any of the um, promo for the book when I went back to think about it, so I was like, oh, he must have actually written it himself. But then I went and found that it was actually written in conjunction with a ghostwriter, Ian Gittens. So yeah, uh, just wanted to re-correct myself on that. Uh, Ian Gittens is a journalist and has ghostwritten a number of uh, music-based autobiographies uh, as well. So now I'd like to take you to an interview I conducted on Sunday of last week, uh, the Sunday directly following Toomey's wedding. For those of you who listen to the Feckin' Check-In as well as Feckin' Metal, Toomey is my good friend and uh, co-host on on feckin the feckin check-in uh, the wedding went extremely well but i think everyone went a bit bananas on the drink including me because of the whole lockdown situation and the fact that it was the first social occasion where uh, all of my friends had seen each other in many months so the next couple of days were a bit rough um but i managed to get uh, my enthusiasm up to speak to jake rogers because i was delighted to have him on the show and it actually turned out to be a really good interview and Visigoth are actually the last band I, I ever got to see live before lockdown. I mentioned that at the start of this, um, and hopefully again they're not the la- they're not the last band I ever do get to see. Who knows when we'll be going back to live gigs? But I'd just like to say about Visigoth, they're one of the most powerful live acts I've ever seen, um, and I'm comparing them to everybody. And like to me, that in no way is that an exaggeration. I'm talking about the likes of Dio, Motorhead, Iron Maiden. Neil Young and Crazy Horse, Visigoth are right up there in terms of power and energy on stage. Uh, Jake kind of makes some self-deprecating comments about his own singing ability on this episode, but I think he's a fantastic live singer. I didn't want to be too sick of Andy to Jake on the call. I know some people can find that quite uncomfortable, but to me, Visigoth are an amazingly powerful live band, and if you do get the chance, or when you do get the chance to see them live, I would definitely recommend going to see them. I saw them twice in London last year. It was one of the best weekends of my life especially one of the best music-related weekends. And I actually have a clip of uh, them performing the Revenant King from the first night of that two-night stint in the Black Heart in Camden. The only interference on it is just from general outside noise, but I think you can hear Jake belts out the song The Revenant King. I'm just going to play it now. Yeah, so that was Jake Rogers uh, and Visigoth singing The Revenant King back in March, early March of 2020. Seems like a lifetime ago now. Um, but on that note, I'm going to get right to the interview I conducted recently with Jake. So this is it. Enjoy. 
Okay, we have Jake Rogers from Visigot here. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks for uh, joining me this evening, or this afternoon in your case. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, uh, Visigoth were actually the last two concerts I attended uh, back in London in March. Hopefully not the last two ever, but what a weekend that was. Uh, do you have good memories of those shows? Oh, man, absolutely. The, was that the, uh, the night we played the back-to-back shows? Yeah, yeah, one after the other. Yeah, yeah we had an exceptionally fun time at those gigs, actually. It was a lot of fun doing two nights in a row at the same venue because we got to see a lot of the same people the second night, so it felt very uh, in- intimate. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a great venue actually, and it was um, it was great that you varied up the set list as well from night to night. I I wasn't really familiar with like the early demos and that type of stuff. I knew the two albums pretty well and, and the couple of songs you released, but um, it was a great education in the history of Visigoth, I think. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we definitely intentionally threw in some of like the really like the demo stuff um, for whatever couple nerds were there that really wanted to hear <laughs> songs from those. So it was fun breaking those out. Some of those songs we haven't played and probably seven eight years now so it was fun yeah and i i went and investigated those releases afterwards i think i got them from Bandcamp, and um your singing has changed quite a lot actually since your very first uh demo uh oh yeah <laughs> much more gravelly yeah, well, yeah that's because i didn't like i've never taken singing lessons so i actually have no business singing in a band really i like i, I don't technically know what i'm doing and so especially that first demo I thought I was going to do this sort of uh, iron sword grave digger mm. kind of, you know, growly, gravelly singing, I guess. Yeah. I was listening to like tons and tons of iron sword when we were first starting out. <clears throat> so, you know, I was kind of trying to be inspired by Tan's like gravelly barbarian thing. Turns out that blows my voice out after about five minutes and I'm done for a week. So I uh, adapted accordingly, but Hey, that's how you learn if you're, too stubborn to take lessons, right? I can only imagine that side of thing. And I, I, like, I always wonder how, like, um, I don't know, Brian Johnson or, or um, the like Udo Dirk Schneider, or whatever. Like, how did they maintain that uh, gravelly grit for like two hours? I just, I can't understand it. I have asked this question countless times because I like, uh, yeah. If if I if I put too much gravel in my voice throughout a set, I'm itch. I'm shot. So I really don't know how those like really really gravelly to, to you know the, to, a lot of them are german right so it's very yeah. kind of teutonic sound um i think people's throats are just born that way man they i don't must know be. Not, <laughs> not mine that's for sure <laughs> by the way that's far too modest of you saying you have no business singing in a band uh, i have video footage of one of those shows from london in march and it's a clip of um you playing the revenant king and i think you played that boat nights actually you absolutely belted it out that was just unbelievable to see live Oh, thanks, man. I'm I'm glad it went well. Like it's, I'm not trying to be like like overly modest. It, it's I, I understand like I can sing and that's why I'm doing it in the band. But mm. um, I, I just have no I have no technical background. So like every album and every gig is a learning experience for me. So sure. so I'm I'm taking I think from other interviews you've done and stuff like you never really intended to sing. Is that right? And then you just kind of did it by. By, by chance and, and that's where we are now like is that the basic journey you went on yeah definitely um <laughs> i actually um lee and jameson our guitarists the three of us played in a little band and i say little band because i think we only played four gigs and never recorded anything okay 
but we played in a band together before doing Visigoth where I was playing guitar and Lee was playing guitar and Jameson was playing bass, which is silly because Jameson's a far better guitarist than I am by mm. like in every sense. But it was kind of one of those, like I started this little band and I wanted to play guitar cause I didn't, I, you know, it was the only thing I knew how to like really knew how to do. I could play the flute. Yeah. But, well, you actually play flute on, uh, <laughs> on, uh, your second album, The Conqueror's Oath. Yeah, yeah, I did the flute bit in uh, in Warrior Queen, which is funny because a lot of people thought that that was a gimmick in the music video, but that really was that really was me <laughs> playing the flute. But yeah, like I was playing guitar in this little band before we started Visigoth, and then um, that band kind of disbanded because one of our members moved out of state. And a couple months later, when I called up Lee to start Visigoth in earnest, I was like, hey, like we should have you and Jameson playing guitar because you guys are both incredible. And mm. I I'll guess I'll try to sing. It was more of one of these, I want to be involved and this thing's my idea, but I don't, you know, I don't have any like trades to bring to the table. So that's when I became the singer um, so, and just so, kind of taught myself from there. Yeah. <laughs> so had you like, you know, did you know any, did you have any idea of what you sounded like? Would, would you be a, a shower singer or like, was it just kind of, I'll try this and I'll see what happens. Oh yeah, well, tons and tons of uh, tons and tons of singing in my car, like mm. while commuting, is really where a lot of it came from. Like okay. a lot of it came from commute because uh, you know, living out in the in the in the West in the United States, all of our commutes are long. Because mm. um, these are just they're big spread out states with big spread out cities, you know. So, you know, school work. I've always had at least a thirty to forty minute drive in my car. Uh, you know, um, so lots yeah. of singing in the car. Okay, ran so it by the guys, and they liked it, so we kind of just ran with it. <laughs> good stuff. Is Salt Lake kind yeah. of a? Is it a kind of a rural place, or what is it like? What's um, the surroundings like? Yeah, well, Salt Lake City is not rural. Uh, Salt Lake City is a metropolitan city, but it's. Um, I meant to say really Utah. Close. Sorry, Utah. I meant. Yeah, well, but well, I guess it, it kind of is microcosmic of Utah. Like it's a. Uh, it is a metropolitan city, but it's very close to nature. It's very nestled, like it's right nestled in the Wasatch Front. If you look up photos of Salt Lake, there's all of them are going to prominently feature the soaring, jagged, you know, battlements of the Wasatch Front looming over the city. It's all right there. If you get outside of Salt Lake, yes, it is very rural. Um, you know, lots of lots of farmland. Uh, at least in this area, you go southern Utah is all desert. Um, okay, so it's a different area. Yeah. Very good. And uh, is there much of a heavy metal scene there? I know you've been around for about 10 years with Visigoth and, and other projects in the past uh, before that, but like, was it easy to grow the band within where you live or did you have to break outside of your state to increase in popularity? A little bit of both. I mean, yes, Salt Lake City definitely has a metal scene. We have a metal scene that dates back uh, to, I mean, technically it actually dates back to the 80s. There was a band called Crisis okay. uh, that played you know, like 80s traditional metal bordering a little bit on glam. Think the first icon record kind of sound right. crisis. And they didn't, they didn't get big, but they were an active recording heavy metal act in the 80s. And then we also had Baphomet, uh, which Buried by Time and Dust Records actually recently reissued on vinyl, which is really, really cool. Uh, in 
in cahoots with a, a local label called uh, Slaughterhouse Records. And Baphomet was, uh, this was the late 80s. I want to say it was 88, 89 that this thing was recorded. Might have been 87. Uh, in that general kind of yeah. mid to late 80s, they recorded a four song EP. It was kind of black slash death metal. It was, you know, before there were lots of genre delineations, they were playing kind of satanic extreme metal. Mm. Um, so, you know, we had that going for us too. On through the 90s, lots of really Salt Lake metal scene is very entrenched in extreme metal black and death metal particularly um non-metal wise we're actually most famous for hardcore like um especially like straight edge hardcore that kind of thing which obviously isn't metal but that's bigger here than metal is or at least was when we were coming up okay and you mentioned uh look more extreme uh subgenres of heavy metal so it's not something i'm particularly into i like a bit of stuff here and there but i'm more into like traditional sounding heavy metal like visigoth and uh, i was just wondering if there seems to be a bit of a movement i've seen like a groundswell of like support for bands like you and night demon and seven sisters and people in that kind of area and like if you yeah but you have to look back really to like the 80s or the 90s when that style of music could play stadiums and massive venues. And the bands who are still playing those massive venues are probably bands from the 80s or onwards. And I was wondering, do you think like the style of music that Visigoth plays, can you foresee that becoming uh, so popular again that like a band, let's say like Visigoth or similar, could play a stadium in, in 2030? Could you see that happening? Uh, if the music industry never changed, yes. Totally. Um, but I don't think the whole, it's a weird question to answer, you know, cause I, there's, there's a, there's a, <laughs> I feel like there's a really strong possibility. I'll put my foot in my mouth here. Okay. Totally <laughs> off base, right. But like, um, I feel like it's, it's less, it's less that bands, it, there's a lot of talk about, you know, all oh, people just don't, people don't appreciate heavy metal like they did in the eighties or you know, rock and roll is, is dead. And it's just, you know, yeah. I don't think it's any of that at all. I mean, realistically, and I've said this in many interviews, which probably makes me totally uncool, but like realistically, cause as metal people, like we like, we like to be underground and we like mm. to be, you know, on the, what well, realistically metal is like more popular now than it ever has been besides during the eighties when it was in its, you know, when at, at, when it was at its absolute like uh, apex of okay. popularity, right? Yeah. And so, I think it's super popular now. And if the music industry was the same as it was in the eighties, yeah, I think that bands would probably be. You know, there would be currently active heavy metal bands playing stadiums because, <clears throat> I mean, in in Europe, a lot of you know, last time I, we played a festival where Powerwolf was playing and there was a stadium sized crowd watching them play. Mm. You know, it's, it's happening. It's just more in, in festivals and the music scene is a little more localized because of how much DIY is available. Now the music industry has just changed so much that I think that whole stadium circuit thing is probably going to change too. So yeah, it might not happen the same way it did, but that doesn't mean the bands aren't as viable or quality. Okay. Okay. No, nope, that's a good answer. Um, so you mentioned Power Wolf there, actually. So it's one area that I do see growth is in power metal for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, like, because power metal, like the, the music that Power Wolf plays, albeit about vampire, you know, werewolves or whatever, is not too far away from the style of a band like Visigoth. But if you look on like Spotify or YouTube or whatever, the power metal bands seem to be like way, way more popular, like just looking at their plays and their downloads. And I, I can't understand why that is. It, do you think maybe it's kind of more accessible or something to non-metal fans? 
but it's, I don't know. Yeah, I think the the um, non metal fan tie in thing is is probably a lot to do with it because if you think a lot, I mean, and it, of course, it depends what type of power metal you're talking about too. Because um, I think what you're probably referring to is what we, you know, uh, at least in our heads over on you know over here in the U.S., we would call it Euro power metal, right? Yeah, yeah. A little more has more neoclassical influences, a little more keyboard driven, a little more um, uh, more saccharine in its presentation. Whereas your U.S. power metal is a little more sinister sounding, a little more shadow, you know, think like Hellstar, Jagpanzer, Twisted Tower Dyer is kind of like darker, a little more aggressive sounding, right? So it's two yeah. branches of power metal. That Euro power metal stuff, I think, is great because it provides a good gateway for people who probably wouldn't ever like normally even think about listening to metal. Mm. But then they might hear a Blind Guardian song about a book they've read. Yeah, yeah. And it gets them excited. Like, for example gamer culture is really into power metal and it's a lot of people that probably wouldn't have been listening to that kind of music to begin with but mm. there's a lot of songs out there that tie into video games that they're playing or liter- literature that they've enjoyed and it, that that kind of tie-in brings in these it, it, yeah so accessibility to non-metal crowds probably has a lot to do with it um plus a lot of that music's just fun and people like to have fun so no that's of true course yeah. It's popular <laughs> yeah of course um so just, uh, I was thinking about, uh, I, I, I've, I've tried to define like to other people, maybe metal fans and non-metal fans, what style of heavy metal I like. And it's, it's often hard to kind of define it because I can be quite picky, but Visigoth is a good example in that you uh, have vocals uh, that are clean. Clean vocals is a hugely important thing for me and melodies that you can hum. Uh, but I've also noticed like in your songs, there are just so many hooks. So like if I take a song like The Revenant <laughs> King or something like that, like the, the, the verses are catchy as fuck before you even get to the chorus. <laughs> uh, but then you have the pre-chorus, then you have the chorus. Then later on, you have a bridge, which is called, almost like kind of a second chorus. And I was just wondering, like when you're writing a song, do you deliberately try to put in as many hooks as you possibly can? Or is that just something that happens naturally in Visigoth? Because lots of other songs are the same. I just chose The Revenant King as an example. Wow, that's a good question. I, like, I, I realize that we typically are pretty hook-driven, especially Conqueror's Oath is sort of like the culmination of our, like, for better or for worse, like some people hated it. A lot of reviews we read are like, oh, there's all these big, dumb, bombastic choruses. And then there's other reviews that are like, I love all these big, dumb, bombastic choruses. <laughs> it's, you know, like how polarizing that can be. But for me, um, choruses are always an intentional hook thing. Like I'm a big fan of the big chorus. Mm. Like I love big, dumb choruses with big, dumb hooks and big, dumb vocal harmony. Like I like that. In the choruses, when it comes to verses, usually, honestly, the vocal lines for those come from just like one of the guys bring a riff and I'll just sing the first melody that comes to mind. Mm. And it just sort of like will lock in place if it sounds good and everyone likes it. So it's partially intentional, partially just like naturally. I mean, I am, I have the great fortune of being in a band with guys who just consistently write great guitar riffs. And it makes, (laughs) it makes my job as a singer really easy. Yeah to you know make cool vocal lines but then you have songs like uh on the uh, uh oh my gosh i'm forgetting the names of our own songs the uh the, the old the dark souls ep we did okay yeah. um bells of awakening, bells yes. of awakening yeah. um so like the, the b-side on that jameson wrote that song abyss walker and that one was challenging because the riffs are kind of uh, a little more jagged and obtuse in there like, you know, they don't, they don't move in the way that your brain is expecting them to for that type of metal song. 
So that was a little bit more challenging for me. So I was thinking about bands, you know, like Sabotage, for example. Yeah. Who yeah. kind of have that dark, uh, that dark obtuseness to the riffing, but then the, the vocal lines are still really sticky. So I was yeah. kind of like, how do you position that? But yeah, catchiness is super important. And anyone who says otherwise is a liar. To me, it is. Yeah, and Sabotage are like some, some of those songs are like the catchiest songs in the world. But um, yeah, to me, to me, it's so important. And it, it's something I, I'm kind of surprised that a lot of bands forego. Like you could be listening to the riff and listen to the music and then you're waiting for this kind of big chorus, like you mentioned, the big dumb chorus. And a, a lot of times I find I feel a bit let down when I get to that point. But uh, it's something that like obviously is in the front of your mind when you're writing songs anyway, because you can go away humming a Visigoth song, you can go away humming even the guitar solo. Whereas I think a lot of metal bands, I don't know, they just, they sacrifice that for some reason, just for heaviness a lot of the time. And I think it makes for a worse song overall. It, yeah, well, and it can depend. Like, uh, you know, some, it depends on the genre, first of all. Like, there are some genres where catchiness kind of doesn't matter, yeah, really, yeah. right? Um, like, a lot, you know, there, there's certain genres of black metal, for example, where it doesn't need to be catchy at all because it's not what it's trying to do. Mm. For traditional heavy metal, which is what we're playing, and this is where when I said, like, you know, anyone who says catchiness isn't important is a liar, right? It's because sometimes we get in this mentality that catchy the word catchy is like a bad word in metal like it's oh it's like a oh pop. yeah it's yeah, pop yeah, yeah. music you know god forbid if you it would don't be pop. think <laughs> no if you don't think we're not thinking about pop music when we're writing songs you got another thing coming like we're yeah. you know because pop pop music is popular music for a reason because a lot you know for better or for worse a lot of these songs get stuck in your head when you hear them even if you don't want them there right which we're not, I'm not saying popify your metal. Like we're not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying catchiness, catchiness is really important to traditional metal. And it's not just this generation that's focusing on that. Like there's a reason Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Saxon and Angel Witch are as big as they are and were. And there's a reason they exploded onto the scene the way they did. Because every Judas Priest, every great Judas Priest song has a huge hook, mm. right? You, you can't, you think you, you, think about the first time you heard the Sentinel. That oh, yeah. chorus was stuck. That chorus was stuck in your head for a, for a month. There's, exactly. you know, so all the greats were all about big hooks. J- Jameson, our guitarist, like studied Judas Priest for like the whole year leading up to writing Conqueror's Oath. He, he, he had this very like academic mindset about Judas Priest specifically picking apart what made these songs so simple but so catchy and so iconic you know yeah. so yeah catchiness is king with this kind of music yeah do you know what i'd, I'd love to hear uh, you hear the rumors are it's, it's not rumors it's it's actual something that happened but they went and got a a professional songwriting group to re- record a few songs with in the early 90s but we've never heard those songs i'd love to hear what they actually came up with in those sessions I think it was... Oh, uh, Priest did this? Yeah, they got... Um, I can't remember the names of the guys now. I was just reading Rob Halpert's cool. book there, actually. But um, I'd heard it before. So they got like a professional songwriting group of people to come in just to make their music more commercial. Uh, but then they never released what the actual <laughs> results were. But to me, like they, they've always been able to write songs anyway. Like They don't need to do like an Aerosmith or whatever and, and get people in to write stuff for them. They could do it yeah, anyway. Yeah, and that, that's interesting to me to hear anyway because, I mean, a lot of... I mean, Screaming for Vengeance has tons of massively catchy and accessible hooks and British steel. I'd be curious to hear that too. I just didn't, I didn't know about that, but, um, but yeah, like it well, and, and think about a band like priest or even fast forwarding to bands that are playing 
like like Visigoth or bands playing similar styles, like like our buddies in Traveler, I think are a great oh, example yeah. of this. Um, where like there's no there's there there aren't exit that unlike a Euro power metal style where you know you you've got more going on than just immediately the meat and potatoes of the rock and roll foundation guitars drums bass vocals that's all visigoth has right we don't do keyboards yeah or we don't do symphonic elements um and you know neither does a band like traveler or any uh i just i picked them specifically just because they're another contemporary band they're peers of ours they're friends of ours that have a similar style that i think are they are really excelling at this genre yeah, they're very good. Right. I've, I've listened to both and of those albums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and 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 uh, it's because you know, and, and JP has such a knack for these great catchy vocal lines that we have to write hooks because we don't have other elements to rely on, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's yeah, and that's I think the most important thing about traditional heavy metal is memorable songs. It's spot on, spot on. Yeah, because all of the traditional bands, like you mentioned, do have those memorable songs, and you go away singing them afterwards. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you, but obviously, as you probably get asked this a lot. Apologies if it's a, a repetitive question, but uh, the name of the band, right? So it always jumped out at me because I didn't know what it meant, um, and I was like, when I'd seen it written down in places, I was like, oh, they must be a goth band, right? Do you get that a lot? Do people think you are a goth <laughs> <Yeah>. band? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, which is fine because I love goth music. So, uh, but I mean, clearly, one look at us—we're not goth kids. Um, yeah, <laughs> but then you just the artwork screams heavy metal, though. So, you like—I mean, if you have any familiarity yeah. with uh, heavy metal bands, like just looking at the cover of the Conquerors out, you, I was kind of reassured when I saw the band's artwork coming up. Then I was like, "Oh no, these guys are metal. It's okay." <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> The, the, where the name came from because I, I, I we kind of realized like there there was just just the word goth being in there that this that might happen which is fine i mean this and this is why image is important too it's another thing like i don't like it when metal people pretend like it doesn't matter because it does you know and this is why it matters is our you know the, the the whole package our name but then you got the artwork and then you know band photos clearly delineating the subculture that we're partaking in but um the name just came from we i made this list when uh, when we were first starting the band i just made a list of like metal sounding band names that that i wasn't 100 percent sure were already bands and then we ranked them in 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 order of like how much we liked the names and i literally just went and searched them in order on like metal archives okay. <laughs> until i got one that wasn't a band and visigoth was the first one on our list it wasn't already an active band. There was a 70s punk band called The Visigoths. Okay. Plural. But that was it. Okay. So, I mean, we had it spoon-fed to us, right? A barbarian tribe, and it's a one-word band name that hadn't been used before. And coming out with band names nowadays, is so everything's taken. So I'd say it's absolutely impossible, it. yeah. So, uh, with, <laughs> with something like that, like I was, I was always shocked that Ghost was able to name their band Ghost. And over here, they had to call it Ghost UK for a while. Um, until mm -hmm. they sorted something out, whatever they did, I don't know. But like immediately when you got that then, did you have to go and trademark that? Is that how that works? Or do you have to copyright a name? Don't ask me about the legal <laughs> stuff. I'm so bad. I'm the least, <laughs> like, you know, like a band is like a business, right? So every every one of us has our own department that we oversee in okay. the band. And uh, I don't touch the business stuff. 
I don't think the guys would let me touch the bit. My brain doesn't work that way. You'd have to ask Jameson, our our guitarist. He's really good at that kind of thing. I am not. I'm I'm the uh, creative director. I do like the artwork and like that kind of stuff. Okay, fair enough. Okay, no worries at all. That's just something that that interests me. Um, so I I saw you in a March. Uh, in London, as I mentioned earlier, I went over and said hello, and you were admiring my Visigoth hoodie at the time, which I, <laughs> I think you'd never seen one in person before in the flesh. So I wanted to ask: mm-hmm. Are you are you involved with the design of the merchandise? Yes, heavily. I'm. That's kind of actually. It was a good segue from what I was just saying. Uh, yeah, I'm. I personally am like really invested in our merch, so I, I approve like all of the designs, and I do some of the i have like some basic graphic design skills that i've acquired over the years uh, okay. from just put, putzing around so i i've done a lot of the designs that are in our web shop and the designs that i didn't personally do i at least was involved with putting the design together yeah right yeah because it's high quality merchandise and, and i think along with album artwork and uh that type of thing t-shirts and, and hoodies and stuff i think they're so important like uh it just gives you a fuller package as a band <clears throat> um if you have like if i sometimes if i see somebody wearing a t-shirt that i like to look up that it's a band i don't know i'll go and look them up and listen to them like that, that it can be that powerful yeah well i mean how many like how many people checked how many people discovered angel witch because of that interview where uh, it was it's like dave mustaine i think is wearing an angel witch shirt in this early metallica interview yeah and yeah. i think that in that introduced a lot of american audience to angel witch in a way that that might not have happened dude the, the t-shirt thing i think we all have had great experiences with discovering bands especially in our younger years right when we're all first discovering metal you, the, the the band shirt as a way of discovering a new band is i that's one of my favorite it's one it's still one of my favorite ways to discover a band to see a cool shirt or a cool patch on someone's jacket and then go home and like look it up and yeah <laughs> i'm the exact same and you obviously have yeah. quite a collection of them yourself uh, what are you wearing there today oh on my shirt yeah this is a <laughs> this is uh bewitched okay the, uh, the swedish they're they're a swedish like speed black black speed metal band um very good i don't think they're still active anymore but they're pretty awesome um if you never heard them they're kind of like they're like a black thrash band, but really lean into melodicism and like it's almost like traditional metal with like black metal vocals. It's really fun. Okay, um, I rarely recognize the bands on your t-shirts. I must say, so <laughs> I've definitely googled oh. a few after seeing pictures of you. <laughs> is, oh is, man, I, I hope I hope you found some cool bands that you like that way. I mean, I'd be I'd be honored if that were the case. Uh, I think Arya was one, or is that how you pronounce it? Or the the Russian band? Are they Russian or? Aria, yeah, 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 they're one of my top oof, top ten favorite bands. I'd say Russian Iron Maiden. I did like them when I listened to them. Um, so is um, is promoting underground bands or underground metal like is that a deliberate choice? Because I noticed like the stuff the stuff you would wear on stage and in photo shoots and stuff is usually not particularly well known. Like I don't think I've ever seen you in an Iron Maiden T-shirt or a Metallica T-shirt or anything like that. Is that to kind of give a nod to people who are an influence, or is it just because you just like those T-shirts? <laughs> well, to clarify, I do own a whole bunch of Maiden okay. <laughs> shirts and Priest shirts and stuff. Uh, so you know, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I'm like only trying to be like the cool underground guy, you know. Mm. And it's funny. It's funny too because you say this, and in my mind, I'm thinking I. I feel like I'm not doing that. Like in my in my social circles or the people that I you know talk 
a lot of music with or do, you know, like here at home, at least up until the pandemic started, my friends and I love doing, you know, we do vinyl nights where we just get together and listen to records and drink beer and Brilliant. discuss <laughs> discuss bands and whatnot. Yeah. So like for me, Aria is actually a pretty like everyone knows like I to me that wasn't like an underground flex kind of thing yeah. and then of <laughs> course not. then you see stuff you see stuff on the internet people are like oh this cool guy trying to be cool where I'm like oh I thought everyone I thought everyone was into that but hey you know what if it helps someone discover it cool um I think I'm of the mind of yeah I'd, like if if someone's going to talk to me about whatever merch I'm wearing I'd rather it be hey like I can maybe introduce someone to some something new because that's what i would want out of that conversation right i'd i'd love learning something new uh so very it's good. partially i think it's it's very intentional when it's a band that's current and mm. like a new band that i, that I want to be supporting or promoting um you know so you know if, if i'm wearing like a smolder shirt like those guys are friends and i think they're awesome and deserve the the you know, her freeways, this new Canadian band. I love, uh, like, Oh, I've, did they have like a caravan on the cover or something? Is that them? Yeah. 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 Um, they got their, their EP from like two years ago or something, had a, just a big truck on it. Our truck, and then yeah. the new one is like a camper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, so that's that band is that, great by the way, if you haven't heard them. That's actually an example of a band where I liked the artwork and I went and listened to them. I did like it. I listened to a couple of songs. I did like it. So yeah, quite powerful. Okay. Uh, I, I also personally prefer to kind of wear t-shirts from lesser known bands as well, uh, just because uh, I want people to see the logos and the artwork and maybe possibly ask a question and get interested in them and be like, oh, what's that? You know? Uh, so I think yeah. it's uh, a good thing to do. Um, so um, I wanted to mention uh, your first album, which was out in 2015. Uh, so I'd kind of try if, with my guests to see if there's any kind of Irish connection that I can tie the band back into. And there always is. Everyone so far, there's always some sort of Irish connection. I think nearly everyone's connected to Ireland in some way. I don't know how, but they are. But uh, Alan Averill <laughs> from, from Primordial was quite instrumental in you getting signed to Metal Blade Records. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> so how did that come about? He certainly was. Um, you know, that was, that was actually one of the coolest things I think like that's happened for the band at the time that it happened. Cause it, you know, it was before. So, okay, let me back up. We had released on just the internet, our first demo, the one that you were talking about where I was singing really gravelly and yeah. it, like, and then after that, we released that final spell EP, which was home recorded. We put that on the internet and we didn't, you know, we didn't, well, I don't know know how we got so lucky because we didn't do anything we just put it on the internet like we weren't pushing really hard or promoting online we just played a lot of local shows which in salt lake city at the at least at the time had did we there's no reach there it was just that's you know we were a band we yeah. were a local band playing lots of local shows put our ep on the internet so our friends can find it and listen to it and somehow i don't know exactly how it ended up getting there but um it got a gentleman named Mike Mendick. He runs this, uh, he runs a small label called swords and chains records. And he reached out to us first and asked if he could release it on tape, which uh, of course we're like, yes, physical media is our first, our first <laughs> physical release. Let's do it. So we let him release it on tape and he's good friends with uh, Merton McCormick who runs uh, Sarlacc productions, which is based out of Ireland. Okay. And uh, Merton knows Alan and, when Merton heard it, he wanted to release it on vinyl. 
So he did that with Cruz del Sur Records as a collab thing. But of course he sent it to Alan and said, hey, I think you need to check this band out. And Alan liked what he heard. Um, and he's a picky bastard, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> if Alan's listening right now, he's not going to disagree. Um, but uh, he, Hopefully uh, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, oh, dude, I love Alan's a, Alan's a great guy. Um, but he, so he heard it, he liked it, and he reached out and asked if we wanted to work with Metal Blade, which um, when that message came into our inbox, I had to read it like three times, you know, because we, we were nobody at all. Yeah, and yeah primordial in high school dude i i can't even believe that my cd of uh the gathering wilderness still plays i listened to that into the ground when that right. came out and so album. yeah for me it was a huge deal that alan was the one reaching out to us so of course mm. like yes yes we want to work with metal blade yes this is the singer of primordial where did this come from it was all kind of out of the blue and over the course of just a couple of weeks is crazy that's brilliant um yeah, yeah. there's our irish connection for <laughs> yeah 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 alan is a nice guy I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times at gigs he, he seems to be quite interested in um traditional heavy metal because i've seen him at Slowfeg and, and night demon and other things so he seems to be quite interested um yeah he's, he's somebody that's i'd love his... to speak to actually but he's an intimidating bastard as well so i'm kind of afraid of him <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 a sweet guy it just it, just talk to him man he'll talk to you yeah he's, a, he's he yeah he's a, he's intimidating but he's he, he he's a he's a true rock and roll maniac like he'll, he'll talk music with you any day of the week oh he lives and breeds it definitely he has he actually has his own podcast i don't know if you've listened to it yourself uh, it's pretty good yeah uh, i have yeah agitators anonymous yeah um so mm-hmm. yeah i might try and get him on somehow um okay um so <clears throat> i was gonna ask you um because you have uh, quite a vast knowledge of heavy metal and what's going on in the scene, are there any current bands that I might not be aware of that you would recommend? Uh, not the obvious ones oh, like I've mentioned, but anything that current? I might have missed. Yeah, man. I mean, I my my listening has been so all over the place. I mean, so I, we've already covered a few, right? Yeah. Uh, that Freeways is huge for me. Um, definitely, definitely going to recommend that any day of the week. I really like... So I guess I'll just like unload a couple of current like new releases that I've been listening to a lot. Hopefully some of you guys will like, not all these might be like metal, but they're all, I'll just only mention stuff that's in the rock slash metal okay. world. Um, Go for it. So like uh, the new Dead Lord record is great. I love Dead Lord. I've loved every album they've done. The new one's no exception. Um, okay. There's a, uh, a Scottish band called Hell Ripper that plays kind of like speed metal, black, black thrash speed metal stuff uh really young the kid behind it is super young and i'm like really proud of him <laughs> tertiarily like i've never met the kid yeah. his music is fantastic he's a great songwriter and uh just got signed to peaceville records and he's super young and i'm really excited to see where that takes him but that new hell ripper album is called the affair of the poisons it's like really absolutely top notch uh there's a greek black metal band called Catavasia. Okay. Um, that played, I haven't heard that, that, of any of these so far, so this is good stuff. <laughs> okay, good, good. Um, Catavasia, they play, it's like a very traditional Greek black metal where it's like, almost feels like traditional heavy metal, but has that kind of like, a, that that blast beat thing that where the, the snare and the kick go on like the same mm. uh, count that, that, pioneer, that was pioneered by Rotting Christ in like the early 90s, mm-hmm. um, but filtered through this big, 
vast warm production. It's got the guy from Verathron on vocals, which is really cool. It's that new Catavasia album. It's called Magnus Venator is awesome. Speaking of Venator, there is a new band from Austria called Venator that put out an EP. Um, I can't remember. I, I, I think it might just be self-titled. It's really, really good. I've actually been listening to that one a lot. Um, so that's traditional metal. So for those of you who like that, just, you know, good traditional metal that actually has like really good songwriting. It's not just another band. Like they, their songs are really good. They're sticky songs that you'll remember. Um, really good. Uh, the new high spirits album. I know everyone's heard high spirits. I have listened to that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dude. It's so good. Really good. I can't, I've never, there has never been a time where a high spirits album came out and I wasn't like enthused to the absolute maximum. Um, it's not out yet, but, and this is another band everybody's heard and I'm aware of that, but I'll just hype it because it, it hasn't come out yet. But, um, fortunately I have been able to be listening to it for the last couple of weeks. Mm. The new eternal champion album is oh, really yes. something special and I'll, I'll be the first to say it. It's, it blows their, it blows their previous album out of the water. Wow. It, like Armor of Fire was awesome. And there's a reason they just like slam dunked the scene out of into oblivion when they came out of nowhere. Mm. But the new record is actually a huge improvement in just about every department. I, I think it's just incredible. I can't wait for that one. I have it pre-ordered on vinyl, so it should be arriving, I think, at the start of next month. Uh, but yeah, uh, Armor of Fire, I'd say, you could safely say is a modern classic. Um, and yes. yeah, it, it seemed to be uh, quite uh, important to the whole new wave of traditional heavy metal movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. Okay. Um, right. So I'll definitely look those bands up. That'll give me uh, something to do over the next few weeks while I sit in my apartment uh, working from home. <laughs> but, awesome. uh, Sounds great. So uh, I wanted to ask you as well, uh, I know Manila Road were a huge influence on Visigata. How did the death of Mark uh, Shelton take you? That was kind of by surprise. Yeah, man. Um, that was really out of nowhere. It was hard for all of us because Mark was a lot more than just a musical inspiration. Like, obviously, if you just talk about Manila Road as a, if you, if you reductively, where you just talk about it, musically the albums that he left behind the lyrics his just general impact on particularly american bands Mm. um and tertiarily american metal influenced bands from europe especially in areas like greece and italy right those kind of hellenic bands that were all really influenced by manila road that alone makes his passing hard to process just because it was such a inspiration all of us musically but as a human being man that guy like you will never ever hear a negative word about that man from anyone. I've never, like, I've, I don't think I've met a single other person in this you know, rock and roll heavy metal network of humans more universally like loved. You know, he was, uh, yeah. he had the sweetest energy about him. He remembered everyone's name, everyone. He could meet someone once see them again three years later and remember their name. I like he, he was kind of one of those guys where he made you feel special when you were talking to him, no matter what. And you're sitting here like this man is an absolute legend, but he always made you feel special. You know? Um, yeah. He was just a really, really special human being, really special guy. I, I've read nothing but good things myself online. It was kind of, it reminded me when Ronnie James Dio died, like there was virtually nobody who had a negative thing to say about him. And 
Mark Shelton is obviously probably lesser known, obviously, than Dio, but like it seemed to be the same outpouring of love and gratitude and just generally pleasant stories and interactions over the years. Oh man, yeah, he. I mean, he he was so. I I feel I feel like my heart aches to know that there are so many people who will never get to meet him. You know, because we had the pleasure of getting to spend quite a bit of time by the end of all of this with him because of where Visigoth ended up taking us. And uh, he, you know, God, Mark, I mean, I have this cool story if we have the time. It's, of course. It's not a long story. No, go ahead. But it's a, well, it, it just, just like to, to illustrate the type of person Mark was. So the very first time I ever saw Manila Road live was, uh, you know, living in Utah. We don't, tours, it's cool now. Tours come through here now, but living in Utah, especially 10 years ago, you know, we had to travel to go see anything, especially if it was going to be an underground true metal band. Cause this was right before Manila road really re-erupted and, and experienced their late career uh, glory where yeah. they ended up being that headliner band that they'd always deserved to be, but for whatever reason, never, never yeah. did. And they kind of experienced that at the end of their career, which is really beautiful they, to watch. They had like a, an Indian summer there at the end of their career. <laughs> they really did. They really did where, where they got what they always deserved. Hmm. It finally happened, right? And it was really cool. But this was kind of right before that really erupted. And uh, they were playing this small little doom metal festival of all things called Doom in June. And it was in uh, Las Vegas, I think. So me and a couple friends drove down to go see them because we were so excited. Manila Road was not only playing, but somewhere close enough we could drive there. Vegas is like a six-hour drive from Salt Lake. So we drove down there. I, I brought my entire Manila Road discography on vinyl that had like every record they'd released up to that point. And I was like, I'm going to get the, I'm going to get Mark to sign them. That doesn't know? shock me. <laughs> so yeah. So I brought the, I brought all the record sleeves. We went and we watched the show. It was amazing. And we started talking to Mark and Brian after the gig. And of course they, they gave us all the time in the world. They weren't impatient. We were just being total punishers, just goofing about Manila road at them, how important this gig was to us. Yeah. And, uh, and Mark did, he signed, they, they were laughing at me because I came in with this mountain of records, like teetering, mm. uh, you know, after the gig, I came in and, and I had this huge stack and he was so pleasant about it. He signed them all, even though I realized in retrospect how much of a pain in the ass I was being. <laughs> and uh, and he, he was so sweet. And he, he asked for my email address, actually. I was like, sure. And I gave him a copy of uh, Final Spell because this is when this is before Revenant King came out. We had recorded Final Spell and we had just gotten the records in. So I gave him a copy, like who, <laughs> just being that dumb, check out my band, man. <laughs> yeah. And he asked for my email address. He actually got back in touch, actually listened to the music, told us it was great, and let me know that they wanted to play a gig in Salt Lake City and gave me a couple dates where they could make it work on a tour they were doing. And nice. I was like, are you serious? Yeah, and one of the dates was my birthday. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and so I was like, oh, let's do it on that date. That's my birthday. And he, Mark was like, that's your birthday. It's going to be on your birthday. We're making it happen on your birthday. So they, they made sure that the routing worked so they could play in Salt Lake City on my birthday for their first time in Salt Lake. The only time they ever played in Salt Lake City ever in history. And it was on my birthday. And Mark like made sure that was the case. He got up on He, he led a happy birthday chant on stage he it was it was amazing like he put so much effort into like making this night special for me 
And it was just because he met me once yeah. at a gig where I asked him to sign my record. Like, that's the kind of guy. Mar- and every, here's the cool thing. Everybody has a story like that about him. You yeah. know, it's not yeah. just me. He was, a, he was a great man. That's a brilliant story. Sounds like a lovely man. Um, okay, so you mentioned Rod and Christ there earlier as well, actually. So you were due to be oh, playing yeah. uh, Manorfest in uh, Bradford in the UK uh, in May of this year, but it was cancelled, obviously, or postponed the next year. I don't see on the bill for next year. Is that not going to happen? I am unclear on it. Okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to say anything if we are, and it's supposed to be a cool announcement and like ruin it, but I also am not sure if we've been reconfirmed. I actually don't. I will be thrilled if we end up playing it again because um, right. I couldn't believe that lineup. Like, uh, Rotting Christ and My Dying Bride on the same. I'm actually like a huge My Dying Bride fan, believe it or not. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, so My Dying Bride and Rotting Christ in the same bill for me was a huge deal. And I was so excited about that. So I. I do hope it happens again. And a dream Isn't troll Borkinagar as well. Playing that too? Sorry? Isn't Borkinagar playing that too? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I don't okay. know. I think, they, I think they are. And that last album that Borkinagar put out last year was like so, so good. So right. I wanted but, to see that. But. Well, I mean, who knows what we'll be doing next year, but I really hope you get added uh, because I still like, kept my ticket. Uh, but yeah, Dream, dream <laughs> Troll are another band on that lineup. Are you familiar with them? They were, I was quite interested yeah, in them. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually played with them once. Uh, we played with them. We played with Dream Troll and um, Arkham Witch, which was that, that gig was a lot of fun. Dream Troll was great. They had a ton of energy, great performance. And then Arkham Witch, I'm a longtime Lamp of Doth fan. So Arkham Witch is a, obviously, it's just, it's a continuation of Lamp of Doth. So it was really cool for me to get to be a fan of that gig. But yes, so yeah, Dream Troll, definitely played with them once. And it was a lot of fun. Great stuff. So um, that was uh, Manorfest. And I bought that ticket when it was announced because I was getting really into Visigoth at the time. But then you announced the two warm-up shows, which ended up being in London. And I was, on, I was in two minds about whether I'd go or not. I was like, well, I'm going to be seeing them in May. So maybe I don't need to go. And then I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll get those two tickets and go to see them in London as well. And obviously then nothing, uh, there's been no gigs ever since. So I'm absolutely delighted I decided to, yeah. uh, to go and see you and get the tickets. Um, all right. So is there anything... Uh, currently going on in Visigoth have you been able to work on music or are you kind of laying low or what's happening yes so I mean <laughs> not being able to play live uh means that the focus of course is going to be on writing um which uh you heard it here first I guess cause this, is the, this is the first interview I've done in a long time actually um very good just because the world's kind of been on standstill right so uh yeah we we are we started writing in earnest recently um some of us kind of had other musical projects that we were wrapping up uh, that we kind of used this quarantined or I guess isolated time to, to finish up. Um, so now that those are done, we are writing for Visigoth in earnest again. Don't get too excited. Like we just started writing, you know, I think <laughs> okay. I, I have, I've written a song um, and I know Jameson and Lee have each written, I think a song. So uh, excellent! It's begun. <laughs> Sounds like side one of the vinyl. Yeah, yeah, we're we're getting. We're, well, our plan this time is like write more material than we need so that we can cut songs out until we have what we think is like the best cross section of the songs we wrote during the yeah. Time. We've never written an album that way, and we know that a lot of bands did that back mm. in the day, where you you know 
you could afford to be a full-time band in the United States yeah. and people would just write tons of songs and then pick the best ones to make an album. Very good. So we've never had that opportunity. So we're going to try that this well, time. If we can. I did notice the runtime on Conqueror's Oath was considerably shorter than the first album. Was, was that a conscious decision? So it comes in about 40 minutes, I think. Yes, that was intentional. Actually. Uh, we, we gave ourselves, we like to give ourselves rules when we're writing. Um, Cause we find uh, and not everyone works this way, obviously, but I'm extremely this way. And so are some of the other guys in the band. We find that like having rules makes us more creative because it, you know, if you just get, write anything, it's yeah, almost yeah, yeah. overwhelming. So our goal for this one was since we're such vinyl driven, I mean, obviously, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast can't see this, but mm. uh, we're on a video conference doing this interview and my room is just like my whole wall is just records. I, you know, yes. Record and we're vinyl enthusiasts and we're focused on that format. So I think it was Jameson's idea, actually um, our guitarist Jameson who decided that our whole goal with Conqueror's Oath was to fit the album on a single LP. So it wouldn't be exorbitantly expensive for people to buy. Cause we saw the prices after, cause we have no control over that shit. Yeah, yeah. Like the the one that when Revan and King came out and it was like mm. a forty five RPM double LP, and we, yeah. we were like, oh god, this is like a thirty thirty dollar album in the US, and I, you know, mm. if a country is importing, it's probably even more. We didn't, we don't want fans to have to spend that kind of money, you know. And so we're like, okay, our fun goal for this record, we're gonna do this old school thing where we are constricted by the format because bands had to work like that before digital music revolution happened. So we kind of tried to put ourselves in the space of what would it be like if we were a band during that time where we have to fit and we have to fit our record on a single LP. So that's what we did. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I think 40 minutes is actually the perfect length for an album. Um, it just reminds me of like, I'm a, I'm a big Neil Young fan as well as metal. And it reminds me of like classic Neil Young albums from the seventies, like 35, oh, 40 minutes. Perfect. Like that's all you want, you know, four songs. Couldn't agree side. more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. That, and I'm a huge Neil Young fan too, so I appreciate that. Um, was actually right. listening to Harvest Moon on my motorcycle ride over here. So. Oh, no way. Good <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah but that, to me, that's ideal. I, and I'm glad to hear that you're kind of sticking with that. Okay, uh, look, that's going to do it, I think, for this episode of Feckin' Metal. So thanks, Jake, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have any final words you'd like to say to fans of Visigoth? Or people maybe who aren't fans who should listen to you? Um, hey, well, just that we appreciate any kind of support. Uh, it's been a pretty amazing ride over the last eight or nine years. Thanks to all of you guys, um, who would sit here and listen to this interview because you care enough about what I have to say, which I'm still adjusting to and still realizing <laughs> that people do. I like for us, it's the coolest thing. We're fans first and we're a band second. At least that's the way I always look at it. So thank you guys all so much. And, um, I'm really excited for this whole pandemic thing to boil over so we can get back to seeing you all at shows and talking music after gigs and live experiencing live music. So thank you for sticking with us through all this garbage. And I hope you like whatever we produce during this downtime. Great stuff. Exciting times ahead. Thanks very much, Jake. Cheers. There you go. That was Jake Rogers from Visigoth. And what a great guest he was. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. Everything from uh, singing in his car to talking about t-shirts, uh, the scene in, in Salt Lake City, 
um, the discussion about traditional metal potentially reaching the same heights as it did in the 80s. Uh, I loved the conversation about hooks and, and songwriting. That's something that's always been on my mind since I started listening to Visigoth. And um, the reflections on Mark Shelton as well. So to me, that was a, a very enjoyable interview to conduct. And if you were listening closely at the start of the episode, I mentioned the names of two upcoming guests on Feckin' Metal. I'm not going to say who they are, but they were mentioned at the start of the show. So maybe if you want to go back and listen again, that's up to you. But uh, coming up next week, I have a band, a singer from a band who is part of the new wave of traditional heavy metal. And the following week, I have an act that's closely associated with my guest from next week. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Feckin' Metal. I hope you keep listening. Oh, and one thing I should say, between the time when I recorded the intro earlier on this evening and now, which is several hours later, I realized that the Twitter handle at Feckin' Metal is already taken. I naively expected it not to be taken because when I googled the term Feckin' Metal back in September, there were virtually no references to it on the internet at all. I thought it was a unique term which is why I called the podcast Feckin' Metal. Uh, but somebody has taken Feckin' Metal, and the actual Twitter handle has been uh, banned for breaking the rules of Twitter. So it's obviously some fucking dick who took the Twitter handle Feckin' Metal. So my actual new Twitter handle for Feckin' Metal is at Feckin' Metal Cast. I did consider calling it Feckin' Metal 666, but I decided against that. So it's at Feckin' Metal Cast, but it's still Metal at gmail.com. So if you want to contact me about anything you've heard on the show or just anything in general, give me a shout on either of those two places. Uh, so that's it from me. I've been your host, Fergal Trainer. Thanks very much for listening. And I'm going to leave you with this. It's the title track from the 2015 debut album from Visigoth. It's The Revenant King. Mm-hmm.